If you served in one of our armed forces or are currently serving, could you please stand? Could we just please applaud these men and women? Thank you all so much for everything that you gave and your families too. Um, families, sir, we have a, our oldest son is in the Air Force. He and his family are stationed in Japan and our youngest son is also in the Air Force and he is stationed in San Antonio and we know that it is also the families that serve right along with those Armed Forces members. So thank you for serving and thank you to your families who served right along with you. Well... It's so good to be here this morning. Last Sunday, wow, was that amazing, y'all. It was so good. I think that is the fastest potluck I have ever been to. Um, <laughs> and uh, Pastor Dan said it uh, as we were cleaning up. Like, we were working for the gold medal of cleanup for winning the gold, and you all won gold. I mean, that was the fastest potluck and the fastest cleanup I have ever seen happen. Um, but it was such an amazing time together, right, to celebrate the diversity of God's kingdom. Wow. Just powerful. And um, so today, we are actually getting close to the end of Acts. Get, right? <laughs> There's cheers for that. Okay. But, but it's been good, right? It's been so good. Um, what an incredible book to walk through together, right? I mean, Acts is just foundational um, to our faith. And I have learned so much. I've learned so much. But we only have two chapters left to go through. And so today we are going through the second to the last chapter, Acts chapter 27. Um, so just to recap, what has recently happened to Paul in the previous chapters? If you remember, he's been in prison right in Jerusalem trying to get a trial. And if you remember, he was falsely accused by the Jewish authorities. So he was put in prison to wait. And Paul was first brought before Felix, if you remember. And over the course of two years, Paul met with Felix many times. Um, but Felix didn't want to rock the boat you know, with the Jews in the area. So he passed the Paul problem on to his successor, Festus. And then Paul goes before Festus, and he tells Festus that he wants to appeal to Caesar. And so Festus agrees to send him. And so if you remember, we had family day here um, a couple weeks ago, and Pastor Dan led us through a wonderful live adaptation with Ava and Addie and Pastor Mary, right, of Paul coming before King Agrippa. And Paul spoke to them about how he became a follower of Jesus on the road to Damascus. So Paul was sharing the gospel with them. And if you remember, King Agrippa asked Paul if he thought he could so quickly convince him, you know, to become a Christian. And Paul's response was short time or long. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. But now here we are in chapter 27 and Paul is finally being sent to Rome to stand before Caesar. So two long years, Paul has waited for justice, and now he finally gets to go to Rome. So if you're familiar with Paul at all, he is not known for having smooth or easy journeys. Um, I would venture to say that he is kind of an out-of-the-frying-pan-into-the-fire kind of guy, um, a lot. Um, so we are going to see in chapter 27 this trip for Paul to Italy 
is not going to be smooth sailing, quite literally. Um, But I think what we are going to see is Paul holding on to this sustaining faith. That Paul's faith and trust in the Lord runs so deep within him that no matter what he faces, he is assured that God will prevail. And I think that there are lessons for us in this passage about sustaining faith, especially in the middle of a storm. So let's go ahead and jump on in. And we're going to start Acts 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. And we boarded a ship from Andromedum, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. So we see here that Paul is being put on a ship to Italy with other prisoners. Now, this is not a pleasure cruise. He's not stepping onto the princess cruise line and being handed a glass with an umbrella. This is a prison ship, right? The conditions are not going to be great. But one thing you'll notice is in the very first line of the chapter, it says, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy. So that indicates that Paul wasn't going alone. It says in verse 2, of course, that Aristarchus was with them. But by also saying we, it indicates that the author of Acts, Luke, was also on board. Now, it was not customary for friends of prisoners to be able to hitch a ride on the ship. So some scholars have thought that Paul was granted favor from Julius, which is why Luke and Aristarchus were allowed to come along. But some scholars say that it was believed by the Romans that Luke and Aristarchus were Paul's slaves, which in that case they would be allowed to go because Paul had not been convicted of a crime yet. They were still transporting him for trial. But in either case, Luke's account of chapter 27 is a first-hand account of the events since he was there. So moving on, we read the next day we landed in Sidian. And Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilia and Pamphylia, we landed in Myra at at Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. So now Julius is the Roman centurion, and it says in his his kindness to Paul, allows him to go see his friends. So there's a couple of really interesting things here. Um, First, Roman um, centurions were not typically noted for their kindness. Um, They were in charge of 100 men, and they rose in rank quite often because of their merciless disposition. And they certainly won't look at a prisoner and go, oh, you want to go see your friends? Sure, go see your friends. Just pretty please come back when you're done. Um, Because they wouldn't say this because if a prisoner escaped the watch of a Roman, the Roman who was in charge would be sentenced to the same punishment as the escaped prisoner. And more than likely, most of these prisoners that were heading to Italy had already been sentenced to death. So Paul must have really struck Julius as someone that he could trust. And I believe that this is because the love of Christ shined through Paul. When we walk with the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, we become a light to others. And I believe it was Jesus in Paul 
that the centurion saw and gave him favor. So from Sidon, they sailed to Cyprus, and it says the winds were against them. And I think Dave might have a map that he can put up back there. Um, If you know anything about my husband Dave, he really loves maps, so I know that he's excited that he gets to put this up. Um, But you can see, like, how they sailed around the edge, because going across it, it's a more direct route to go across the Mediterranean there. Um, But it was really difficult. It was really tough because the winds would be blowing against them, um, and they would have never made it across. So they hugged the coastline, you can see there, and sailed all the way to Myrna. Now, when they get to Myra, they change ships, and an Alexandrian ship was heading to Italy, and that's what they were put on. So during this time, the coast of Italy was known for being crowded with all the import ships that would come bringing goods. Rome was a huge city in its time, and it wasn't able to sustain itself, so it relied on other countries like Egypt for grain. So I want to give you a picture of what these ships look like. So if you could put that picture up. So, um, like I mentioned, it's not the Princess Cruise Line, um, but for its day, it was a massively large ship. Um, it's, we'll hear later that it held, um, this ship with Paul was over 270 men. So it was really a big ship for that day. Um, they had one mast in the center, and it held a really large sail, and then there was a smaller sail out front. Um, but these ships did not have a rudder. They were controlled by two oars at the back. So this means they were very dependent on the wind blowing behind them for propulsion and also that they could not effectively sail into the wind because they would not be able to have any control of the ship. So in chapter 7 it says, We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off of Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite of Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. So they are already running into challenges. And they haven't even got to the major part of their journey yet. And then we read this. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was the day after atonement. So it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. And bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. So in the Mediterranean during this time, there were seasons for sailing. Um, But starting around mid-September, it was really dangerous for them to try to sail. And they didn't sail at all after mid-November until winter was over. So they had already ventured out well into the dangerous season. And we know that because it was after the Day of Atonement which was roughly around October 6th. So they are way too late to be sailing safely. So Paul gives them some advice. Now, Paul was not a sailor, right? His expertise was not in sailing. But do you know what he did have expertise in, aside from being apostle? He was an expert at shipwrecks. Um, He says... In 2 Corinthians 11:25, three times I was shipwrecked and I spent a night and day in the open sea. 
Paul knows all about what it is like to be shipwrecked. And he's trying to tell these guys that from his experience, he is looking at shipwreck number four coming right at him. Um, This is the wrong season to be sailing. And he's trying to tell them that they need to just stay put. But it says the centurion listened to the captain. And I mean, I mean, that makes sense. Right? Paul wasn't the ship's captain, and surely the captain would know. I mean, it's his cargo and ultimately his life on the line. And really, who doesn't want a winter in Phoenix? Come on. Right? Um, Fairhaven had this lovely name, but it was probably the tourism committee that gave Fairhaven that name to try to get people to go there because it was not a fair haven. It was a really rough place to keep a boat for the winter. And Fairhaven was this little teeny tiny town in the middle of nowhere with nothing for these men to do over a long winter. So, given a choice of staying in winter in Buckley, Washington or Palm Springs, the captain and the soldiers, and as it says, the majority on board wanted Palm Springs. So, they set off. And as we see, starting in verse 13, as Paul warned, things do not go well. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. All seems good, right? But then, before long, a wind of hurricane force called the nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. So here comes this nor'easter sweeping down on them. And this particular wind, this nor'easter, was actually feared by ancient sailors because of its destructive power. So remember, these ships had just one big sail that they used for steering. And now the wind is blowing into the sail and not behind that sail. And they don't have a rudder to control the direction of the ship. So they just have to go wherever the wind is going to take them. And it very well could sweep them right out into sea. So the crew tries to make the ship more secure if they run aground by wrapping ropes around it. And then they drop anchor, trying to slow down the battering of this ship. So I want you to get this picture in your mind. This long wooden ship with over 270 men on board being tossed around in hurricane force winds in the middle of the Mediterranean. Now, my husband served in the Navy for 12 years, and there was actually a time that he was in a hurricane while out to sea. So he was on an aircraft carrier, and at that time, it was the world's largest aircraft carrier. Um, It was, as he tells me, it was 1,090 feet long. It weighed 99,000 tons. And the flight deck, so where planes would land, the flight deck was six stories above the waterline. Okay, so this is a much, much larger ship than what what Paul is on. And they sailed right through the middle of this hurricane. And and Dave tells like how the ship listed so far to each side that the men would be walking on the sides of the uh, inside, on the sides of the ship. And that flight deck, remember, six stories high, 
listed so far it nearly touched the ocean. That is the power of a hurricane. So you picture Paul in their boat experiencing that same destructive power. And this Paul, that ship was on, you know, they can't radio the Coast Guard. There is no way for them to call out for a mayday. They had no one to come rescue them. So in verse 18, it says, We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. So the situation is so grave that the captain is tossing over all of his profits for the ship, the cargo. And then it says that they threw the ship's tackle overboard. So this isn't tackle like as in fishing gear. But the tackle was the items used to raise and lower the sail. So basically, they are tossing overboard the mechanisms that make the boat work. And we hear the desperation, I think even in Luke in verse 20, that after days of being tossed and battered about on the ocean, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. They gave up all hope. I believe there are those of us here that have been in that very same spot where we feel we have been beaten and tossed about and dragged every which way and don't know which way is up or which way the wind is going to carry us and we are just done. There just doesn't seem to be any way out. But God, God does his best work when all hope is lost. God moves in miraculous, powerful ways when the struggle brings us down to our knees. God works best when there doesn't seem to be any way out. That is where the power of the Almighty God shines. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And here in Acts chapter 27, we see Paul stand firmly on the hope that he knows is true and real. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now, I just love Paul here. He starts out with, well, you guys, I told you so. Right? He doesn't hold back at all. He's like, yeah, if you would have just listened to me, we would not be in this mess right now. Um, But then he goes on to encourage them to give them hope that although the ship will be destroyed, no one is going to be lost. And I get this picture of Paul here. I don't feel like Paul was just meekly talking to these guys. Like, it's okay, guys. Don't worry. We're going to be fine. I mean, you got to think that he is surrounded by hurricane force winds, right? This wind is blowing and loud. I just picture him yelling, take courage. Not one of you is going to be lost. 
Can you imagine these tired and scared sailors and soldiers and prisoners hearing this man on his way to trial in Rome, yelling at the top of his lungs, take courage. Because Paul himself was able to take courage. His trust resided in God. And when you place your trust in him, you can shout at an enemy that would have you believe that all is lost. You can take courage because you already stand in the victory over the storm. You can take courage because God's promises are yes and amen. And you can take courage because God does not fail. And then Paul tells them this. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So he tells this group of sailors and prisoners and soldiers that he belongs to God. That he serves God. And that God sent him an angel to bring hope. And I just love this statement by Paul. For I have faith in God that it will happen. Just as he told me. Paul's faith did not waver. He stood firm in the knowledge of who God is. And even though that Paul was in the middle of a storm, he knew that God held him in the palm of his hand. See, Paul had been in this position before. And some might look at Paul and think, wow, he just kept finding himself in trouble after trouble after trouble. But Paul looked at it as a testimony to the faithfulness of God. That no matter what happened, God was there with him. That God had a plan and a purpose for his life. He truly believed that God's promises were real and that he could trust God to work out the details. Paul knew from experience that it is in this place of the deepest despair during the earth-shattering storm, that God's glory prevails. It is when we surrender all of our control to Him that His might and power can shine through. We don't have to rely on our own strength. We can't rely on our own strength we have to let go of our struggle for control and step into allowing god to work and we might not know where we will end up at the end of the storm but we need to trust in the one that does and then we read this starting in verse 27 on the 14th night we were still being driven across the adriatic sea When about midnight, the sailors sensed that we were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. 
Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. So they have been on the sea now for over 14 days. That is an unimaginably long time to be battered about by a hurricane. And we see these sailors decide, well, enough's enough. I am getting off this boat, and I'm going to try our luck in the lifeboat. And notice in verse 30, it says, um, it says they were doing this, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. So they were being sneaky about it, right? They didn't want anyone to know that they were trying to get off the ship. Um, but Paul, they were noticed, and Paul tells them that in order to survive, they have to stick together on the ship. Now, I wanted to jump to a very quick judgment of these sailors trying to abandon ship. Um, and I just pray about this for a moment because, I mean, these sailors were assured by Paul who was told by an angel from God that even though the ship would be lost, they would survive. But that wasn't good enough for them. Nope. They were tired. They were tired of being tossed about. They were tired of being seasick. They were tired of waiting. So they were going to take matters into their own hands. And as I sat there wanting to judge these sailors, the Lord reminded me how often we do the very same thing. We get tired of waiting on God. We get tired of having to trudge through the situation that we're in. And instead of waiting, we decide to come up with our own plan. We are going to do this our way. And can I just tell you that every single time that I try to take control and do things my way, it never works out. Never works out. I decide that somehow that I know better than the God of the universe who created me. That somehow I know more than the God who is all-knowing and all-seeing. Church, I can't even program the Bluetooth to pair up to my phone without help, yet I think I know more than God. I think I am capable more than God of managing the storms that come in my life. We get so impatient, right? We want the storm to stop now. We want things fixed now. We want everything to be set right now. But it was never promised that our trials would be short or easy. God never promised our journey would be without trouble. It was never promised that following Jesus would be the easy road. However, this is what God has promised. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And in Isaiah it says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And also in Isaiah it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. 
When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Our God is the same God that spoke to Isaiah. Our God is the same God that guided and spoke to Paul. Our God is steadfast. Our God does not lie. Our God does not fail. But we have to be willing to stay the course reside in him his ways are not our ways and we have to trust that he is who he says he is and church that can be hard but church his way is the way and his way is not for our destruction but for our good And Paul says this to everyone on the boat. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of all of them. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Paul takes a moment to reassure all of them that they are not going to die. And then he breaks bread and gives thanks to God in front of them. And it says they were all encouraged. Church, do not disregard how your faith can be an encouragement to others who are going through hard times. With love and gentleness and kindness, We can show those who don't know the Lord the hope that living a life following Jesus brings. Your faith is a powerful testimony, and we must be bold enough to share it. So now we reach the end of this chapter, and we're going to see what happens to this ship of 276 sailors and soldiers and prisoners and a few apostles. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship, was struck by, the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way... Everyone reached land safely. Don't you just want to sigh in relief right now? They made it, right? They made it just as the angel had told Paul. The ship runs aground and starts to break apart. And the soldiers decide that they're going to kill the prisoners so they wouldn't escape. Because remember, they they would face the same fate if any prisoners escaped from them. But because of Paul, the centurion stops them. And it says, everyone reached land safely. Can I ask the worship team to come up? For over 14 days, 
these men were thrown about, pushed to the very edge of their physical and mental limitations, and they faced death. But even in the midst of the chaos, God used Paul to be a witness for him. And God demonstrated to all of them his power and his glory. We don't know how many of them came to know Jesus after this trip. But I would venture to say that their lives were forever impacted by this event. I can only imagine what they learned by watching Paul, his steadfast faith in the middle of the storm. How encouraging he was. How reassuring he was. Over and over, he was the one, when all seemed lost, to show them a steadfast, unshakable faith. They witnessed a man who led a life filled with the hope of Jesus. And there are many storms that we are going to go through in this life. And some of these storms, we will not understand why we had to go through them. But in each and every storm we face, we get to choose how we're going to navigate the storm. When we have a storm to face, are we going to just rush forward and jump on the first boat because it's what we want to do? Or are we willing to sit and abide in the harbor if that's what God asks us to do? When everything seems like chaos all around us, are we going to try and take control ourselves and figure our own way out? Or are we willing to surrender ourselves to God and place our trust in Him? In the middle of our storms, are we going to be the light and encouragement to others? The one who says, take courage. The one who offers hope and life to those around us. Or are we going to retreat below decks and just try to ride out the storm on our own? I think so often we just want God to hurry up and make the storm stop. But maybe he is wanting us to find him in the middle of the storm first. We will have storms in this life. We will all walk through hard times, but we don't have to walk through them alone. We can walk with the one who calms the seas with a word. We can walk with the one who walks with us through the valleys. And we can walk with the one when everything seems to be breaking apart at the seams, whispers to our hearts, fear not, I am with you. God also gives us a wonderful community of believers who we can turn to for support and prayer during our storms. So I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down now because maybe you are dealing with a storm today and could use some hope and encouragement this morning. While the worship team sings, our prayer team would love to stand with you and pray over you. We serve a God that did not forsake Paul and will not forsake us. No matter what you are going through, no matter what happens in the future, our God is faithful and steadfast. 
and living a life in him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, working in us and through us, we can rest in his promises, no matter what we face. Paul had a sustaining faith that no matter what came his way, he trusted God. And I wonder, as Paul wrote this next passage, I'm going to read a powerful letter to the Corinthians, that maybe he had all of those storms he experienced in mind. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce us for a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever.